Wow, what a difference a year makes, right? I mean, last year at uh, Easter, we were, uh, we were all in our living rooms, basically, and uh, I was standing at uh, that aisle right over here, and, uh, and we were online, and uh, so that, that really means it's been 24 months, 104 weeks, 37, I'm sorry, 730 days since we last gathered for worship on Easter Sunday. So, hey, just want to give you an opportunity just to shout out real loud, all right? Just get, thank God. Woo, yeah. I'm just excited to be able to be here, and I know that we're still not completely out of the woods on this whole thing, but I feel like we're doing, we're doing uh, very well. God's brought us through a very difficult time. I want you to go and take your Bibles and turn with me. Turn in, turn on your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, we're going to talk about Jesus showing up. Because here's the deal, we, we can easily talk about him showing up in the past. We, we know that obviously he died on the cross. We're going to talk about the significance of his death on the cross. But look, it didn't end with his death on the cross. There's more significant things to come. He was buried, he rose again. And, uh, and so because of that, there's some impact on our lives. And so regardless if, if you're still at home watching and, uh, and maybe you're traveling, maybe out of town, I know it's spring break for Greenville County Schools, um, or you're here today, look, the fact is Jesus is still showing up. He's still showing up in our lives. And if we're not seeing it, if we're not experiencing it, it's not because he's not there. And so I hope we get that today as we kind of lean into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul presents this by saying, now I would remind you, brothers, verse 1, he's basically saying, I'm going to give you a reminder, a gospel reminder. And that's kind of what we need to see this as this morning, as we, we kind of know some of this, this is kind of some obvious gospel content that we just simply need to be reminded of coming out of this year. And we need to recommit our hearts and our lives to Christ. Then there are other people in this room who don't know Jesus as their Savior. I mean, there are many at home who probably don't have a relationship with him, have no idea if the day were the day where they stood before him at judgment, have no idea where they'd spend eternity. This is so important that you hear. This is the gospel in its simplest form. In verse one, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So, what is the gospel that Paul is preaching? What is the gospel that Paul is speaking of in verses one and two? Verse three, for I delivered this gospel to you as of first importance. That is the foundational, fundamental teachings. These are the, 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 this is the guts of the gospel, all right? This is the most important stuff that I also received that first of all, Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures and that he appeared. He showed up, all right? He showed up to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive today, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, some have died. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, speaking of himself, he said he appeared also to me, speaking of the Damascus road. And so in this passage, Paul explains both what it is, the gospel, and what it does. And so it would be real easy to kind of immediately say, well, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he died on the cross. Is that true? 
Absolutely. That is part of the gospel message, but it's not all of the gospel message. But it is where Paul goes first. I want you to notice, Paul doesn't back up and say, hey, here's what's of first importance. First of all, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? He didn't start there. He didn't say, this is of first importance that, that Jesus preached this Sermon on the Mount. We just went through a series. Is that important? Absolutely. But is that the, the uh, first importance? Is that of the, the biggest foundational priority? He didn't even talk about all the miracles that Jesus worked. He didn't talk about all the sermons that he preached. He went straight to the cross. This is of first importance. This is the most important conversation that you're ever going to have. This is the most important message that you're ever going to hear in church. And that is that Jesus died on the cross for you. He was buried and he rose again. So he starts with the death, but he doesn't stop at the death of Jesus. He doesn't stop at the cross. He takes it on further to the burial. Now, why would the burial even need to be pointed out? Why in 1 Corinthians 15 does he go further? He doesn't just say Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures, but he, he goes further into what that accomplished, and, and it goes into, first of all, he was buried. He was buried. Well, you might say, well, well, Wayne, why is that even significant? Sure, he died, he was buried. Well, see, if he didn't specify that he was buried, and if the scriptural record didn't record that he was buried, then there would have been a massive conspiracy theory. There would have definitely been many who would have doubted that he actually died. And even today, look, even today, 2,000 years later, you'll find plenty of people, especially professors in certain universities, that will tell you somehow that, that Jesus didn't actually die, that he must have fainted in, off of the cross. You know, sure, it was, it was terrible, but, but he didn't really die. For him to, to be alive three days later, there was no way that he literally died, so he must have swooned. He must have, you know, fainted. That, that's the explanation. And I would just say, no, that literally Scripture completely discounts that. Even all of these encounters that Jesus has, they are all very, uh, it's very evident that they really knew he was dead. This is not like some possibility of his death. They, they legitimately took the lifeless body of Jesus off of the cross. This is a man they knew well. They followed for three years. They heard him speak they watched him walk on water. I mean, they saw him feed thousands, right? And so we see that they, they saw him bleed. They saw him brutally tortured on a, on a cross, and he died. They took his lifeless body. They placed it in a tomb. And we're going to see by evidence of all the encounters after his resurrection, they knew he was dead. There was no like conspiracy, right? There was no trick being done. It, this was like completely, his followers knew that he was no longer breathing. Jesus had died. He had been placed in the grave, but I am thankful, obviously, the reason that we celebrate today is that he didn't stay in the grave, right? Three days later, we know that that lifeless body of Jesus came back to life. So yes, Jesus died. Yes, Jesus was buried. He was placed in the grave, but he, he took a grave of desperation and despair. And he literally, just like the song says, he turned it into a garden of hope and healing. This is what Jesus did 2000 years ago, but he's still in the business of doing it today. He's still doing it, man. He's, he's still showing up guys. 
And, and if, we, if we miss him, it's not because he's not showing up. It's not because he's not standing in front of you. It's not because he's not speaking to you. It may be that you're not listening. It may be that you're looking in all the wrong places. It may be that you are completely distracted by the craziness of this day and you're leaning everywhere except toward the gospel. Well, there's no doubt in my mind the gospel is speaking to you today. So yes, he died on Friday, but he showed back up on Sunday and he is still showing up today. You may be alone, you may feel confused, you may feel helpless, hopeless, afraid. You may feel ashamed. Listen, here's the fact, and this is the hope for you today. A true encounter with Jesus changes everything. A real encounter, I'm talking about a true encounter with the resurrected Jesus will change where you're at. It will change your, your fate. And you may say, well, hey, what about my circumstances? I'd really love it if, if somehow you know, the storm would just go away if I embraced Jesus today. And I'm gonna tell you the truth. Absolutely, it may be that the storm rages stronger tomorrow than it did today, but here's the difference. Jesus will be with you and he'll be holding you up. He will be strengthening you in the midst of that storm. He will show up when you need him and he will never leave you or never forsake you. So John chapter 20, flip over to John chapter 20. We're gonna be in 20 and 21 this entire time. So I would encourage, even if it's on your phone or your tablet, go and turn in, turn on John 20 because we're transitioning to this fourth gospel and we're gonna look at four encounters. These are just four stories of Jesus after the resurrection appearing to four different people or groups of people. And so uh, I think we're going to learn some different things from each one. And we're definitely going to present these points kind of in four applications. So we'll talk about the encounter, but, but I want you to really think about the application for me and the application for you. What does that mean for me? So the first one is Mary Magdalene. He appears to Mary Magdalene in the garden in John chapter 20. And uh, we'll see it in verse 11 in just a minute. But here's what we see. Here's the application point to begin with. Jesus shows up in our sorrow. Jesus shows up in our sorrow. No matter what we've experienced, no matter how troubled we are, no matter how sad we are, Jesus is not gonna leave you alone in your sorrow. He's not gonna leave you alone in your tears. And again, if you feel all alone, it's because you're not listening to him. You're not leaning into him because he has not left you alone. He is not gonna leave you. He is there for you. And so Jesus shows up in your sorrow. Look at John 20 and verse 11. Here's what it says. After Jesus had resurrected, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And she wept and she stooped down into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the, the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've taken him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus, but check this out, she did not know it was him. Verse 15, Jesus said to her the same thing the angels did. Woman, why are you weeping? In other words, why are you, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Supposing him to be a gardener, I've always wondered, I mean, did he have like a gardener's outfit on? I'm not really sure. I'm not, I, but I may, just because he was in a garden, so maybe that's totally it, right? But, but supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, would you please tell me what you've done with him? I will take him away. I'll take him off your hands. And Jesus said to her one word, it was her name. Listen, he just said, Mary. Now he had already been talking to her. So it wasn't just his voice. Somehow, when Jesus said her name, 
something went off in her mind and she turned and she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, it means teacher. She totally recognized, she connected with him. She understood who he was. And immediately we recognize that Jesus showed up to Mary Magdalene, even in her sorrow, even in that moment of uncertainty, even in this, why was she sorrowful? Because the one she had followed had died and now she can't even find his body. She believes a thief has perhaps stolen the body of Jesus. Again, evidence that Mary Magdalene legitimately thought he had died. This is not some disciple conspiracy that they wanted to trick everybody into thinking that Jesus had died. No, he was dead. And Mary Magdalene came to to grieve and to mourn. But I think it's it's significant that Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene first. He didn't appear to the most likely influential person of the day, Mary Magdalene, for many reasons, but one in particular we'll talk about. Uh, She wasn't the most influential, even just because 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, a woman was very marginalized. A woman would not have been the the first person that Jesus would have gone to in most people's minds. She wouldn't have been seen as the most influential person. Obviously, this was a bad thing about the culture in that day. But we understand that if this was like, uh, you know, Jesus trying to be most strategic in our minds, we would have thought he would appear to the most influential person in Jerusalem so that the legitimacy of the proclamation could be heard by all, and everybody was, oh my goodness, this has to be true of so-and-so saying it. But no, Mary Magdalene was not that person. She had been marginalized in that day. Kind of like, I, I'm, I was uh, checking out Travis Tritt tickets. Y'all know he's coming to Simpsonville. I'm not sure if you know this, all right? And y'all might not be country music fans. If you're not, I pray you get saved today. Amen? Anyway, <laughs> I'm joking, really. I'm joking, really. But uh, Travis Tritt, that's, that's back, that's my roots, all right? I don't know if y'all remember. I'm a member of a country club, right? Country music. I'm going to stop there, all right? Drive an old Ford pickup truck. All right. Y'all don't sing with me. We will be in trouble together, all right? But, but I, I, I looked at those tickets, and at $45 to sit on the lawn. I don't know if anybody in here works for the amphitheater, but... My phone number is 864, if you'd be willing to give me some inroads, some backstage passes. You know why I'm not going to go backstage? Because I don't know Travis Tritt. I don't know anyone who knows anyone that knows Travis Tritt. I actually know where he lives because we used to ride by his house all the time because he's, he's right there in Paulden County near where we used to live. And uh, his gated uh, community of one, this is his, his house, right? Uh, we would go by and say, hey, Travis, what's up, buddy? You know? Uh, so we're close. We're really good friends. Anyway, so I, I don't know anybody that knows anybody. I'm going to be on, if I go to the Travis Tritt concert, if it's going to be on the lawn, that's where all the big families sit. Amen? <laughs> Five kids, $45 times seven. Holy moly. Well, that's the date night. Just me and mama. Kids staying home, I guess. But anyway, I, I, do, I do think that gives, you know, Far off, no intimate experience with Travis that night, right? I'm not going to be connected. <laughs> I'm, not going to, I'm not going to be able to have a, 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 a close conversation. Why? Because I'll be marginalized <laughs> for various reasons. Maybe because I'm just unwilling, I'm cheap, I'm unwilling to pay more. But, but see, that, that's not where Jesus leaves Mary Magdalene. 
Jesus didn't leave Mary Magdalene marginalized on the outskirts. He didn't leave her in the peripheral of the conversation. He brought her backstage. I mean, this is like, this is the first person he appears to, and it would be the least likely person. And you may be here today, and you may be saying, everybody else has pushed me aside. Nobody cares who I am. Man, you know, Wayne, you don't have any idea. I'm the least likely person that Jesus would die for. This is the beauty of the gospel. He did it for you. He showed up for you. He showed up for me. He showed up for people who knew no one who knew no one. He showed up for people who no one respected. He showed up for people who had no influence. He showed up for people who had been marginalized and and insulted and abused. He, He came for them just like he came for everyone else. And so Jesus showed up to the marginalized, and in particular, this is the beautiful thing about Mary Magdalene, he showed up in the midst of her sorrow. He showed up in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her trouble. He didn't wait until she got over it. He didn't wait until she felt better. (laughs) He met her in her pain. He met her in her struggle. He met her in her sorrow. And there may be, there are definitely countless people in this room today who are filled with sorrow for whatever reason. There may be people right now who are watching online who just, who definitely get this. They're, 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 they're they're filled with tears and trouble. I want you to hear this, man. Jesus is showing up in your life. But secondly, I want you to notice he didn't just show up in her sorrow. He also showed up in the disciples' fear. So he shows up in our fear. John chapter 20, verse 19, look at the screen. It's obvious that these disciples know Jesus has died because of the way they respond. In John 20, 19, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, they were afraid, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's pretty fitting to understand that that these, these disciples obviously knew that Jesus had died, physically been dead for three days, because they were afraid of the people who killed him. They were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of them. They were terrified. And so in their terror, Jesus appears to them. Now, to make matters worse, this is like insult to injury, like literal definition, all right? Because they're already afraid of the Jews and the door's locked. And you may judge them and you may say, well, those poor disciples, they were always so foolish. I mean, me and you, we wouldn't be there, would we? Uh, you better believe you'd have probably been the one turning the deadbolt, amen? You know what I'm saying? So we definitely can't judge the disciples. We would have been afraid. They had just watched the man they followed th- for three years hang on a cross and be crucified as a criminal. He, he, he died a criminal's death. He was brutally tortured. And so as these followers of Jesus watched this unthinkable event, their hearts were flooded with fear. 
they were afraid. So they, they go up, they, they lock the door, they're hanging out, they're talking, they know who's in the room, they're hearing the voice. All of a sudden, without the door opening, Jesus is standing there talking to them. You may wonder why he says, peace be still. That's not just some nice generic greeting. It's probably because, like, like Joy said in the video, they were probably freaking out, amen? You know what I'm saying? They had to have been livid. I mean, like, he just showed up. He just showed up in the room. He didn't knock on the door and say, hey guys, you guys in there, you know? And, and you may say, well, they knew Jesus. So when he showed up, they would have had to, Mary Magdalene didn't recognize him immediately. And so these disciples had no idea what was going on. And so he said, peace, be still. And so in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their frustration, in the midst of their confusion, Jesus showed up. He, he came to where they were. He didn't leave them alone in their terror. And don't miss this. Yes, Jesus met Mary in her tears, but I want you to get this. He met these disciples in their terror. And so it may be that you're, you're in the midst of a great trouble and sorrow, or maybe today you are afraid. It, it could be any number of reasons, any number of sources for your fear, but you get fear. We all get fear. We may be afraid of what tomorrow holds, we may be filled with anxiety and not knowing how to, how to solve the problems, what, where to turn next. And look, you need to hear this. Like Jesus is showing up in your fear. He is not going to leave you in your fear. But third, I want you to notice, one disciple missed the meeting. Isn't there always one? There's always one person who misses the meeting. This is a mandatory staff meeting among the disciples. And Thomas undoubtedly had a golf game. I'm not sure what was going on, but Thomas was not there because it legitimately says immediately there in verse 40, 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And so, so Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas is the one who is not going to believe unless he sees it with his own eyes. And here's the deal. I, I wish that we weren't like Thomas. But the truth is we can see ourselves in Mary Magdalene. We can see ourselves in these disciples in this room eight days before this. And now we see Thomas eight days later. And I'm telling you, I can see myself in Thomas. It says in 24, Thomas, one of the 12 called twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him. They just gave him a report. They filled him in. Hey, when Jesus, uh, we saw Jesus, we saw the Lord and, and, when, and, uh, and he said to them, unless I actually see in his hands the mark of the nails. And unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails, hey, hey, unless I put my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples, notice again, inside, Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in, stood among them, and what he say? <laughs> Peace be with you, right? Peace be with you. Why? Because they were probably going crazy again. And then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, come here. Put your finger here. Put your finger here. Let me see your hand. Put your hand in my side. You may say, well, hey, you know, it sounds like maybe Jesus was really upset with him. I, I think Jesus came to Thomas. Thomas had doubts. Thomas had concerns. Thomas was, you could use the word skeptical, all right? And look, you, you may be here today and you may think, you know what, I, I, have, I have doubts. And, and that, does that mean I'm lost? I, I've, sometimes I have doubts and it, and it just wave, as wave comes over me and I don't, I don't know how to, how to deal with that. And, 
I want you to rest in this. Look, Jesus will show up in your doubt. He's not afraid of your doubt. He's bigger than your doubt. There's no concern that you've ever had that's bigger than his, his, uh, his answer. There's no problem that you've ever faced that's not bigger than his solution. Look, Jesus can handle you. He can handle you. He can take what I've got to bring. There's no question that somehow I'm going to ask God and him just go, well, that, that was a good one. That was a curveball. I, I don't know what to do there. No, I mean, this is Jesus, right? So, so we shouldn't be afraid to bring him the hard questions. We shouldn't be afraid uh, to, to come at the, the culture and the reality of the things that we face and somehow think, well, you know, my faith is compartmentalized over here and culture is over here. And so I'm gonna keep having this religious experience over here, but I've gotta be careful not to allow them to overlap because my faith may be vulnerable to science, for instance. My, my faith may be vulnerable to the secular truth. And again, that would reveal a big fault line in your philosophy that somehow there's some separate truth that, that one person may have that other people don't have. Now granted, there's experiences that vary from person to person. There are definitely beliefs that vary from person to person. But there is only one reality. There's only one truth, and all truth is God's truth. It's not like God is, is an anti-science person, all right? Why? Because God invented science. Did you know that? I mean, right? So look, God's not like somehow threatened by truth on this side or that side. The fact of the matter is all truth is God's truth. So don't, don't run from doubt. Take your doubts to Jesus. He's gonna show up in the midst of your doubt. And that's why every Sunday we get tired of hearing, hey, text hope to this number. At the end of the service, we're gonna give you that number to text hope for. If there's, if there's a question you have, you may say, hey, I wanna sit down and talk to somebody about this. I really wanna to talk to somebody about that. I'm really struggling with this. And I, I love God or I, I want to believe in God, but I've got these barriers that stand in my way. Look, don't run from those doubts. Don't mow around the doubts. Take them head on because God can handle your doubt. Jesus can handle your skepticism. And so he showed up in the midst of Mary's sorrow. He showed up in the midst of these disciples' fear. And then he showed up for one dude. He showed up for Thomas in the midst of his doubt. He made a second trip <laughs> because Thomas was playing golf or whatever, you know? He came back. It shows his love for one person. It shows his love for you. That even if you came not looking for him, he showed up for you. He loves you and he cares for you. And then it leads us to the fourth one that I think is probably the most powerful. And that's this, Jesus shows up in our shame. He doesn't just show up in our tears. He doesn't just show up in our, uh, in our uh, uh, terror. He doesn't just show up uh, in, in our doubt, but he shows up in our shame. He shows up when we are disappointed in ourselves. He shows up when we feel like we have let everyone down, including him. He doesn't run from us. He doesn't say, oh, well, I tell you what, Wayne's just gone too far. I can't bring him back now. He's just going way, I, my arm's not that long. That, that's, that's just ridiculous. I want you to think about this. Look, he's big enough to overcome and overwhelm your shame. He, he overshadows your shame. He dominates your shame. Look at verse 15. This is the story of Peter. Right after this, you know, got Peter fishing. 
So Jesus has risen from the dead and Peter's out fishing. I'm, I'm, I threw my fishing pole out there. He was doing nets, all right? So there was no fishing poles, all right? I was about to reel it in, all right? But Peter's out there fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And while they're out there, Jesus comes and he just, he's like standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he, he calls out to the guys while they're fishing. He says, hey guys, come in. I wanna cook you some fish for breakfast. That sounds pretty gross, but that's like literally what happened, all right? So, so when Peter recognized who's, who it is, he like jumps out of the boat and, and runs into Jesus. And Jesus spends time with them there. He cooks them breakfast and, and, uh, and, and it leads to this conversation where Jesus, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, verse 15 of John 21, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? I, you know, was he saying, do you love me more than your profession? Do you love me more than fishing? Do you love me more than your companions? Do you love me more than all the other distractions of this world. He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, and listen, Simon, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it a third time. Isn't that interesting? He was grieved. Maybe it was because the repetition of the question but even more than that, it had to have been a reminder immediately of the three times he had denied him. Peter had said, oh, I don't know him. I don't know who you're talking about. No, I don't know him. I'm not, I'm not a follower. I'm not a disciple. He denied him three times. And then he'd watched him bleed and die on a cross. He had, he had turned away from, he had deserted Jesus in his greatest hour of need. Peter felt shame, Peter felt heavy, Peter felt guilty. And Jesus comes to him on the side of this Sea of Galilee to give him an opportunity to tell him he loved him as many times as he said he didn't know him. He said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And in this moment, restoration, in this moment, healing, in this moment, forgiveness overwhelms shame. See, the question is not, will God forgive you? The question is not, does God love you? The question is never, has God forgotten you? Never. The question is, will you declare your love for him? Will you say, God, I need you. God, I'm gonna give you my shame. Better yet, in this case, Peter buries his shame on the shore. I mean, he buries his shame in the sand. He leaves it there. How do you know that, Wayne? Acts chapter two, same guy standing in front of thousands of people declaring the resurrected Jesus. I mean, these, these are moments where thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. The same guy who has gone back to his profession fishing. This is a guy who's gone back where he was found by Jesus. And Jesus gives him an opportunity to find restoration. And he leaves his shame in the sand. And the fact is, you have that opportunity today. The truth is, at salvation, something in us dies. At salvation, we, we ultimately say yes to God and no to our old shame and sin. We bury it that day. And look, if you've never done that, this is the opportunity that you have. Today, you can bury your shame in the shore of the Sea of Galilee, figuratively, obviously. This is you saying, God, I, I can't, but you can. I'm not perfect, but I wanna depend on you for my salvation. 
You may be here today and, and, and you know Jesus, but you have wandered far away from him. You have not been faithful to him. And Jesus has found you back where he found you initially. See, that's where Peter was. He was a fisherman. And maybe he's found you today. He's standing in front of you. He showed up in your business. And he's calling you to come back. I want you to lean into his invitation today because this is what happens when Jesus shows up in your life. Many people make the mistake of thinking that when you show up in church, somehow you show up in front of Jesus, and that's not always the case. Religion won't save you, but a relationship with Jesus will. And so our religion is a meaningless relationship, I mean, a meaningless practice without a relationship with Jesus in the true gospel. But when you know Jesus, it leads us back to that bottom line, a true encounter with Jesus changes everything. When we really meet him, it radically transforms everything about our lives. I, I want you to take this time during a, a closing song and, and having the opportunity to, to pray and do business with God, to really ask yourself the question, which one am I? I mean, is God finding me in my sorrow? Is he finding me in my tears? Is he finding me in my fear, my terror? Is he finding me in the midst of my doubt? Is he finding me in the midst of my shame? No matter what it is, look, God can handle it. And Jesus is showing up today. I pray you'll embrace him and embrace his grace because when Jesus shows up, no matter the place, he always brings grace. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope of Easter and the hope that we have in Jesus. I'm thankful that, God, you didn't just send Jesus to die for us, but, God, you also <laughs> sent him to bust through the barrier of sin and death to come back to life three days later, Lord. And now because of, because of his resurrection, we too have hope and eternity in the resurrection uh, from the dead. And Lord, I pray today that you would bring a renewal and a revival back to our hearts and our lives as we're confronted with these opportunities to really encounter you in the midst of our sorrow and in the midst of our shame and our fear. God, I pray that in the midst of our doubt, you would speak to us. And, and just like you called the name of Mary, God, I pray you'd call our name. God, help us hear you. Even in the depths of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?